Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. If you have your Bible today, we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter number 2. The plan is to finish this chapter today. We'll be in verses 10 through the end. How is that possible? We'll see. 2 Peter chapter 2 verses 10 through 22. Over the last couple weeks, we've been in 2 Peter and I spoke to our deacons this morning before we prayed, and I said, pray for me because I'm tired of talking about bad guys. And I say that seriously because it's not very encouraging preaching. Quite honestly, I'm not speaking for you. You don't have to say amen, but it's not very fun to hear. No takers, good. And I've been asking myself, and I think I know the answer, but I've been asking myself, what's the, what's the point for the church? I think the answer is clear. Peter said in the last days, he also said previous days, false prophets were among them, and so shall there be false teachers among you. And this text, this book, this chapter specifically is a warning to the church to be aware last week, to be prepared for false teachers. Don't be surprised when there's false teachers among you. And the more I've studied this passage, and especially today, I'm convinced, I'm certain that it is needed for the church today, not just for our church, but for evangelical churches churches, Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, Bible-living churches, to be aware, to be warned, to be careful. This text, and, and I'm just to be very honest, there's 12 verses here, and it's hard to put this into 50 to an hour and 50 minutes, but I, if I did it, if I would preach this out, it'd be probably three weeks, and you'd be bored to death. Will it ever be over? So for you scholars who have researched and you go home and study behind me and see if I copied and pasted anybody's notes, <laughs> I am fully aware that this text is a mountain of text. And I could extract and probably preach 10, literally 10 sermons out of this text. So if you, if you came today for the deep theological truths and I miss one, I'm aware they're there but I'm trying to really help the church. Just as I said earlier, and it was unplanned, we do a lot here and prayerfully, and I believe we do things with the right motive. My motive is pure, and I believe this text is very clear that preachers, pastors, churches, we have to do everything we can to prepare our people for the reality of false teachers, the reality of false doctrines, unfortunately for us, but fortunately to the 
enemy, for the enemy, he, the enemy, has um, adapted to the times. And if we're not careful, and this text indicates that false teachers actually prey on those who are shallow or new in the faith, which it just puts the burden on the church to disciple, 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 disciple. Someone professes to be born again. We need to do everything. We need to pour resources into growing them in the truth. Because the enemy doesn't change his tactics necessarily. He still preys on those who are new in the faith. Matter of fact, I read behind one preacher from a long, long time ago, an old dead guy, that said back in the early 20s, 30s, when there were revivals in big cities, that they were false teachers, false religions who would wait outside and prey on those who had just made a new commitment. And they knew that by the materials that the, the camp meeting had just put in their hands. So when they saw new converts walking out with their new books, that's the ones they attacked. So there's a burden on the church to not just evangelize, but to disciple and to grow up, grow in grace and knowledge. Parents, if you've got a child, you've got the, the biggest responsibility that God will ever place on your life. Not just to raise them up and keep them from getting killed or killing somebody. But to make sure they hear a pure, true, biblical, God-sent, Holy Spirit-inspired message of salvation. Pray for their souls, invest in their souls, and when they make a decision to invest everything you have, if need be, to grow them in the grace and knowledge of God's word. As a church, I believe we have the responsibility to make sure that discipleship opportunities are available. There is, there is no greater opportunity for a child in this community than to come on Wednesday night to an Awana program, an Awana ministry, where they're gonna have fun, they're gonna hang out, they're gonna sugar up on candy at some point, they're gonna get to pet a goat. That's this Wednesday, right? Fall, yeah. Probably get bird flu off of some chickens. For free. Nobody sends those things out for free. Or ride a mechanical bull. For free. I didn't know we were paying for a mechanical bull. <laughs> you probably, if you think that, you probably hadn't given anything. What? You shouldn't have said that. But, and they'll be taught the word of God. We do Awana just to do Awana to compete with another church that does Awana. No, most of them copied us, to be honest. We're doing it to teach children the word of God. Amen. Because we know there's an enemy. Why, why, why did, I'm just gonna be blatant and transparent. Why, do we, why, did, why did I hire a youth pastor? Why did we hire a youth pastor that is a student of the word of God 
who loves the word of God, who believes the word of God, instead of a party planner to go over and have a circus party every week. That's intentional, people. Me and Justin have talked about this. But we could, I, was, I was similar, not that we're both perfect, but we're close. But could we have 200 kids every Wednesday night? Absolutely. Would we need a three-ring circus? Absolutely. There'd be a lot of bells and whistles? Absolutely. Would you have to give a lot of stuff away? Absolutely. But our job is not just to pack out a room and to party it up. And I'm not saying that that's what everybody with large groups do. Our job is to invest the Word of God and to disciple students. Upper majorities, usually 70 to 80 some odd percent of American teenagers who grew up in church, go off to college or get a job out of college or go to the military after high school potentially or or get a job after high school, Nearly 80% of them, by statistics in America, never stepped foot back in a Baptist church. It's not because all those churches were bad. It's not because the pastor wasn't feeding them. Now, it may be because their family fed on the pastor every Sunday, but the reason for that is because they haven't been cultivated to grow in grace and knowledge and know why they believe what they believe and make their calling and election sure So they decide to serve some other God. So there's a strategy here, just so you know, to invest in children, to invest in teenagers, to invest in young adults. Now there's an old biblical proverb that says you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. That's not a biblical proverb in case anybody was looking in Proverbs for that. Last, Last little commercial. If you're a parent, you got children, it's going to sound old-fashioned. They live in your house, and they eat your food. Anybody going to amen before I get where I'm going? <laughs> they drink your water, they use your heat, they sleep in your bed. You're their parent. It's your opportunity, it's your privilege, it's your burden to put them under sound teaching, to evangelize them, to make sure they are evangelized, then to make sure they grow. That sounded like a pretty good sermon. Y'all want to go home? (laughs) I didn't study for nothing, so let's read it and get it over with. Would you stand as we honor God's word? What has all that got to do with false teaching? We got to prepare. We got to know why we believe what we believe. And it's not because daddy was a Christian or the preacher was a Christian. It's because personally I'm born again and I need to know what the word of God teaches. So in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 10 through 22, this is probably the longest passage I've ever read in five years of being the pastor, but I think it's worthwhile. Let's pay attention to it and read it. Allow God to speak to us. In reference to destruction, verse 9, and the fact that the false prophets are headed for destruction, verse 10, but chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, 
Presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities or authorities. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, they don't bring railing accusations against them before the Lord. But these, these false teachers, as natural brute beasts, wild animals, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness. Now's a good time to just say, thank God that we have received as believers the reward of righteousness. We have been made known the righteousness of God through Christ. But not these false teachers. They're receiving the reward of unrighteousness. As they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. I'm going to read this a little different. They are spots and blemishes on the church. Their spots and blemishes sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. Who's you? Church. These cats are in the church. Some of them are in the pulpit. And some of them are hanging out and eating homecoming lunch with you. That's what he says. Having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin. Beguiling unstable souls. Hear that? A heart that has exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozar, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Now, quick time out. If you're reading the King James, be careful here, because you'll get in trouble and kids will wake up. <laughs> but was rebuked. Balaam was rebuked for his iniquity by a speechless donkey. Speaking with man's voice, forbade, or forbade that the madness. He stopped the madness of the prophet. These people are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, whom, whom the midst of darkness is reserved for. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, oh my goodness, this could be a caption on TV every Sunday morning and throughout the week for some of these 24-7 guys. For when they speak great swelling words with a country twang from Texas, they allure through the lust of the flesh. Through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from the who lived in error. They're capitalizing once again on the young and on the immature and the shallow in the faith. But they got good words. And man, I love to hear him speak. He is so encouraging. Or she. Not that he identifies as a she. I'm just saying there's other ones too that could be she. <laughs> Didn't put that on him. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same as he brought in bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, there's an important if there, we'll cover that in a second. If they had, they are again entangled therein and overcome, which means the, the last, the latter is worse than from the beginning. For it had been better for them to not have known the way of righteousness were these, were these people saved in a false teaching church? Were they educated in a false teaching church? Were they, did, somebody, did they ever hear the clear gospel? Absolutely they did. They heard the truth, but they decided to go a different way. After they had known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog has turned to his own vomit again. That's a beautiful sight. And the sow... For you city folks, that's a, 
pig that was washed to her wallowing, wallowing in the mire. Father, thank you for your word. God, I pray that this is clear today to the church, to us, that it's not only a warning, but it's an encouragement, motivation to know you and to know you more every day. Know your word. Be able to spot a counterfeit. Be able to teach and train our children, our families, our Bible study groups, our Sunday school classes, the truth of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So no one ever expected this would happen, especially with a model congregation everyone thought existed. The church provided, this church had provided a heating swimming pool for underprivileged kids, horses for inner city children to ride. They gave scholarships for deserving students. This church provided housing for senior citizens. They even had an animal shelter. That's a good fundraiser, by the way. Medical facility. They had an outpatient care facility and a drug rehabilitation center. Walter Mondale, who was the vice president at the time, wrote that the pastor of this church was an inspiration to us all. The secretary of health and education and welfare at that time cited that this pastor had made outstanding contributions to society. He knew how to inspire hope. He was committed to people in need. He counseled prisoners and juvenile delinquents. He started a job placement center. He opened rest homes and homes for mentally handicapped. He had a health clinic. He organized a vocational training center. He provided free legal aid. He founded a community center. He preached about God. He even claimed to cast out demons, do miracles, and heal. This was a pretty lengthy resume for what appeared to be a mighty spiritual leader and his church. So where is this church, where is this congregation today? What is it doing right now? The church that I've described is dead, literally dead, because in November 1978, this pastor called all the members of this church to the pavilion. They heard his hypnotic voice come over the speaker system. From all corners of the farm, they came. He sat in a large chair in front of the group and held his microphone. And he described to them the beauty of death and the certainty that they would all meet again one day. The people were surrounded by armed guards. A vat of cyanide laced Kool-Aid was brought out. Most of the members of this church partook without any resistance. And those who did resist, many were forced to drink at gunpoint. They started with the children, babies even. 80 in number, drank the Kool-Aid. And then the adults, women first, men, leaders, and finally the pastor. And everything was calm for a while. 
until everyone who had drank began to convulse. They screamed, and it was a terrible sight. One by one, every member of the People's Temple Christian Church were all dead, all 780 of them, including their leader, Jim Jones. Now, there's a lot of people in this room today that have never heard of Jim Jones. They were born way after 1978. But those of us who know a lot about or a little about or just what I just read about Jim Jones and his cult would probably think this. That would never happen today. It, it just, it's a terrible story I just read. Unfortunately, the, the worst part about it is it's all true. And there's a lot more details about it that I wouldn't read out in public that are just terrible of how this happened. We would, in our rational minds, we would think nobody would ever buy into such craziness today. Without trying to be too facetious, and I look around and I read news and watch news, I think there's people believing a lot more crazy stuff today than the mess this guy was propagating. As, as terrible and as weird as that sounds in a church, don't be so naive to think there's not a lot of people willing to, to fall hook, line, and sinker for even non-religious things, willing to die for. The reality is this. Whether something happens this sensational or not, to a false believer and a false teacher in a false religion and a false church, their end is still the same. They may not physically die by drinking poison, but they will all spiritually die a second death because they drank the poison of false teaching and a false gospel. And as, and as far-fetched as Jim Jones and his 800 following church all dying because they put their trust in a man, think of the millions millions, not just in America, in the history of America, but the millions, if not billions throughout history who have put their trust in a man or a myth or a phony religion, they end up the same way, dying a second death and an eternity in hell. The millions of religious people in the past and in the present and in the future, who will stand before God as a religious person, a devout religious person, to a potentially holy religion, and hear from the judge. James tells us every Wednesday for the last few weeks, he's the judge and he's returning. They will stand before the judge and hear, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. We hear iniquity in the King James, you, you workers of sin, you workers of lawlessness. You are practicing lawlessness. You are 
following faithfully a religion that you shouldn't have been. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. But we were devout. We were sold out to the cause. We gave to that cause. We gave our time. We gave our talents. We gave our money to the cause. We rode bikes. We walked miles. I have seen, and I'm, I'm not going to hurt feelings today or call out people. I'm going to try not to. I've already did one, and I've, you know, but I'll stop. I have seen things in the 21st century on social media of groups, religious groups that aren't Islam, Buddhist, Hindu, but claim to be evangelical that really honestly shake me inside thinking this looks like Jim Jones. And it's out there. There's a lot of people putting a lot of trust in a man or woman or religion or a church or a denomination. If I'm being honest, I think probably one of the most heartbreaking realities is there will be people who here depart from me who work iniquity or lawlessness. I never knew you because they were serving a denomination and not a Lord. Serving a church and not the Lord of the church. They were more, more concerned about their name tag and their position than they were their personal relationship with Jesus. If I'm being honest, if I'm being honest, we're Southern Baptists. We're the largest evangelical organization on the planet. We need to stay that way. We need to stay true to the word of God. We need to cut out a bunch of the garbage, which I believe some of that's happening. We've got to appoint leaders over the convention who believe the word of God, who preach the word of God, who practice the word of God. We need to hold people accountable who have not. We need to kick out churches that don't. But I believe there's some people that are more concerned in the Southern Baptist Convention about moving up the convention ladder than they are, than they are preaching the truth and living the truth, if I'm honest. And I'm picking on ourselves because that's who we are. By the way, for those of you who aren't aware, we are, not, we are a, an autonomous Baptist church. They don't tell us what to do. We tell them what to do, and we tell them when we're tired of messing with them, which could happen. That, moving on. We're going to see in this passage of Scripture there are characteristics. Last week, we talked about preparing for false prophets, and today, specifically, I'm going to try to extract from this text the truth so we can recognize false prophets. Not because of what I said or because of my opinion. Or I don't like the way they dress. I don't like the way they talk. No, that the word of God says this is who they are. This is how they conduct themselves. These are their characteristics. And the first thing we're gonna see right here is in verse number 10, which is probably smart because that's where we started. That false teachers are arrogant in their walk. Oh, you just went straight out the gate hardcore on them. Well, your King James says presumptuous. That's the word for arrogant. But chiefly, he's talking about those who will be destroyed, those who are corrupted, but chiefly, especially, particularly those who walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness, despise government, presumptuous are they. 
Self-willed are they. They're arrogant. Now, does that mean all arrogant people don't go to heaven? No. So don't be calling names in your mind. Don't be pointing. We're talking about leaders. We're talking about church leaders who are arrogant, not, not the kind that I, I've heard old preachers say, and I like to say it, that they can strut sitting down. <laughs> not talking about that. Talking about those who are arrogant in their leadership of Scripture and how they produce or how they portray the Word of God, the truth of the Word, by how they live, not how they dress or how they walk, how they spiritually walk. This is what he's talking about. I, I say that, and you're like, people are thinking things right now, because you know I read minds, and I'm, I'm bouncing around some things right now. I'm getting mixed signals. We're not talking about identifying somebody. Here's, here's why I'm saying this. I've got to cut to the chase. We can, we can get so um, opinionated. I can be that way, Right? I got a lot of them, good ones, correct ones, best ones. We can get so opinionated in the church that we start to identify people based on how they dress. I'm not, I'm not going there. Don't everybody just relax. I'm saying to the point of, well, they must be, they're not real Christians because look how they dress. That's not a real preacher. Look how he's dressed. If he was really a Christian preacher, he'd wear a tie, even the bed. <laughs> so that's a little extreme. That's what happens when self gets involved. That's when self-promotion gets involved. And, and there, there are some preachers who feel that way on both sides of it. And I've been around them. That's the world I'm in. I don't like when people acknowledge what I dress like. <laughs> We've got people, it's just where it gets a little fidgety. There are preachers among us. I could call them my name. I'm not going to because that wouldn't be nice. But they, they seem like they're more concerned about, about what you're wearing than what you're preaching. And I'm not talking about the ones that want you to be wearing tails on your tux. I'm talking about the ones that want to be so cool or so new and modern that they think they look cool and they're 55 years old with a beer belly and they're wearing skinny jeans and the shirt is too tight. And when you walk in looking like somebody should, they go, well, what are you wearing a coat for? It's like, why don't you wearing clothes that fit? That's what I want to say. So they go so far on it, it's like, now we start to categorize pastors by how they dress. And I say to each their own. I hadn't liked skinny jeans when I was skinny. And you don't want me to wear them today. And I passed the age where I start to wear clothes for comfort, not for look. First time in my life, I bought a $120 pair of shoes, not because they were what everybody had, but because they felt good. And I bought a pair of Brooks running shoes. I was like, this is amazing. Feet, don't, they don't have to hurt. I wear them to bed and they're, anyway. <laughs> they're arrogant in their walk. They're, they're presumptuous. 
They walk after the flesh. That's what he says. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh. And that's the longest part of my sermon, but I gotta get to it the quickest because it's really important that we identify what these false teachers look like. Not how they're dressed, but how they walk. And they walk after the flesh. They walk after self. In James, which I alluded to earlier, we've been in James for several months now on Wednesday night. If James doesn't teach us anything, he teaches us that we are naturally inclined to walk after the flesh. We're selfish. We like ourselves more than other people. And that's the natural tendency that a, a person fights. When a, we become a believer, when we accept Jesus as Lord of our life, we understand that we are no longer our own, but we've been bought with a price, so our will doesn't matter anymore. And that just doesn't collide nice and smoothly with our flesh, which we still have, even after we get saved. So every day, you say, why do I feel this way? Why do I feel so bad? Why am I struggling? It's because you're saved, but you still have flesh, and there's a war going on. And if anybody tells you, well, this is going to be caution, caution tape. If anybody tells you, well, you got saved, y'all not think like that no more. Those things are gone. You don't need counseling. I'm really careful about that. Because unless your flesh was eradicated when you got saved, you still struggle. I'm thinking of examples right now that I'm not going to go any further because some people will agree and some people will disagree. And I'll get a letter. <laughs> but as long as you've got flesh, you're going to struggle. Because if, if your flesh was made like my flesh, your flesh likes your flesh. You like self. It's going to be done right. I'm going to do it myself. Got to look out for number one. Nobody else looking out for me. I got to look out for myself. I'm the only one that said those two things. I know. But I'm just giving myself as a public example in flogging. Those who walk after the flesh, chiefly those who lust after uncleanness, that is their, that's their ambition. They may not come out and say, hey, everybody, welcome to church. I'm after the flesh today. But their lifestyle proves it. And you have to look for the indicators. And, and not because of what I said, but because of what Peter said. They're self-willed. They're bold in their arrogance is what self-willed means here. They don't make any bones about it. Everybody's sitting waiting for me to call someone's name. <laughs> and I'm not going to. Because but for the grace of God, we could all find ourselves here. If we're honest. But I was in Israel. I've been fortunate enough to go to Israel a couple or well, three times. Anybody want to go back again? Anybody want to go for the first time? We're, 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 I'm serious. Okay, we got a few. When we get about 25, we'll go. All right? Not for free, but we'll go. I'll go for free. Um, and I went with, we, I took the, the group we went for from the church last time. We went with Gary Fraser. Gary Fraser was a Southern Baptist leader, Southern Baptist pastor for 30 plus years. Him and Jack Graham are good buddies. If uh, any Baptist people, older Baptist people know Jack Graham, Jack Graham was a staple in the conservative resurgence back in the day. I don't know Jack Graham, I know Gary Fraser. So we went, 
When we were in Israel, the second time I went with just a group of pastors, I heard from Gary Fraser's mouth identify a pastor who I could put his name right here. And when I was studying, it was like, that's, that's that guy. That's him. I've seen this pastor personally. I saw him um, at Quell, Quell Hollow Country Club, the golf course where the PGA tournament's at. And he's about this tall. Um, he wears tight clothes, so he looks a little bigger. But he's about this tall. And he had um, a group of people around him. You know, because he, don't touch me. You know who I am? Uh, I just have a hard time believing Jesus is pleased with that, personally. Well, he's just so popular, he needs bodyguards. No, that's not that. They all had on their $500 uh, Yeezy tennis shoes and stuff like that. They were just out there, they were on the catwalk. But he's a pastor, a big, important pastor, right here in our area. I was told by the leader who owns the company that he would never have this pastor back on one of his trips because he walked in to a hotel in Jerusalem. He didn't, but had his group, probably the same ones walking around with tennis shoes on at the golf course, and walked into the lobby in Jerusalem. That's in Israel. That's not in Rowan County. In case you <laughs> and had them go in and said, such and such is about to enter the building. He doesn't want anybody speaking to him. He just wants to go to his room. Now, I know what this guy looks like. And I don't think he's quite as international as he might think he is. But I don't see Arabs working in a, in a hotel being too concerned about touching him. Which tells me this guy is bold in his arrogance. This is who Peter's talking about. This is the type of person Peter's talking about. I can't see, I can't see, matter of fact, when people came after Jesus, and the disciples tried to be his posse. No, keep away, keep away, he's busy. He said, whoa, 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 what are you doing? To the children, let them come to me. What are you guys doing? Who do you think you are? Yeah, I'm important, but I'm not that important. I, I find it hard to, hard to rationalize someone who God has allowed to have the stature and the influence that some of these people have, but not to use it for good. That's my problem with them. Oh, you're just jealous. No, I'm jealous of a lot of things, but not that. He just said he sins. I covered a lot. I probably covered their cars more than their status, if I'm honest. I've got a problem, I know. I would hate to know, and God knows my heart, I'd hate to know I had the status of some of these people that Peter talked about then and today and didn't use it to make an impact, a kingdom impact. I'd hate to know that I had influence over hundreds of thousands of people that, that stand before God one day and may hear you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. When I had the ability to influence them with the truth. But I was too bold in my arrogance to have time where I sent my deacons in and said, hey, he doesn't want to be touched today. They despise government is what this says, which is not government like despise the president. So that got me off the hook. No, they despise authority. They're so bold in their arrogance that they're above authority. They're above the law. Doesn't apply to me. 
park where I want to park. That was a silly example. They're not, evil to, they're not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Now, this is where it's interesting in, in the first couple of verses because there's questions of whether they're talking about angels or not. The reality is they're so bold in their arrogance that they will talk down to authority. Hello. They'll talk down to authority no matter who the authority is. Even angels. Why do they blink angels? Because the next verse says angels. And then and Peter used the example that angels don't even do this. Angels are a little higher up than most of you preachers. But they don't even talk about each other. The indication is they don't even talk bad about the fallen angels. But these guys, these ladies, these false teachers, they just let it rip. And then verse 12, he calls them a bunch of wild animals. This is how they act. Now, I'm probably not getting any further than this, and I thought this might happen. But they're compared to natural brute beasts. Now, growing up, I didn't know what brute was other than deodorant that burned your armpits off. <laughs> Some of you have heard me tell, one of my favorite Christmases when I was like, nine or ten years old and I was getting brute deodorant and brute soap on a rope and aftershave in a packet that came from Refco probably. I didn't start shaving until I was like 19. I'm like, what do I do with this? And um, anyway, of course I put it under my armpits and burned two layers of flesh off. I do something What's that? Brute, brute. They're wild animals. Now, this is, I'm an animal lover. I have to put a disclaimer out there. I'm not even going to look on the second row of my family members before I go here. I, I like animals. I like dogs. I want to be a farmer. I want to have chickens. I want to have goats. I want to have cows. I want to have it all. But I live in Landis, so I can't. <laughs> Karen, I call the mayor. But Peter, through God's inspiration, really intentionally calls them animals for a reason. They're irrational beasts. The indication is that they're not, that they're not like humans. <laughs> animals and humans are not the same. <laughs> animals and humans are not the same. We love them, we spend money on them, we give them proper burials at times, we keep their ashes, we build monuments and memorials to them, we stuff them and put them on our mantles. But the indication is that animals are different than humans in, in three distinct ways, and this is something that's just, just biological truth. Animals live differently than humans, and they, animals have three natural instincts. Here they are, self-gratification, self-preservation, and self-propagation. Now, whatever the animal, they, fall under, they, they follow these three. The, the, the um, important thing is to understand that all of three of those distinctions start with the word self. Now, 
I've got a dog, I've got two dogs, I've got a dog that loves me more than anything should ever love me. The reason he does that is because he's an animal, not a human. He doesn't really know me. That's why yours loves you. And dogs, listen, I'm going to be trying to be nice and try to be helpful. Dogs, you can scream at. You might even kick at them. Pick up something, say, what'd you do this for? Ah, they run off. But within three minutes, you go out there and they're slobbering all over you. And, uh, but they just love me unconditionally. That's not necessarily the truth. They, they love themselves. It's hard for me to say because old Russell loves his daddy. <laughs> and Ruby loves her papa. She's just crazy. She's just a brute animal. That's what they love self-gratification. They love the attention they get. That's what animals do. You say, well, what about that other one, that self-preservation? Reach in there and grab their kibbles while they're eating. <laughs> a real dog. I'm not talking about those little fake dogs that some of y'all have. I'm talking about a real dog. <laughs> I'm talking about a real dog with real teeth, with real muscles. Not a rat or a gerbil or a guinea pig on a leash. <laughs> a real dog. Or put three of them in the same pen together and put one bowl of food. Don't charge admission, that's illegal. But you'll find out that they are all about self-preservation and self-propagation. PG audience, you don't have to teach them how to propagate. That's a big word. Um, reproduce, make more of themselves. That's what they're about, and it's all about self. And, and Peter compares these false teachers to wild animals who are all about self-petting. They're all about gratification. If you won't gratify me, I'll create a group around me to gratify myself. Look how big I am. I got bodyguards. They'll create environments to gratify self. Now, it's easy to do in the, in the church world with pastors, I promise you, because there's not a lot of gratification. Not a lot of petting, unless you mope around and whine about it a lot. Well, I just got the worst job in the world. Just quit and go do something else. That's what I say to preachers to do that, honestly. I didn't think it was going to be great when I got into it. I'd seen other preachers get mistreated. I'd seen this stuff happen. I'm not surprised by it. I'm more surprised when there is petting. Whoa, is that real? It really happens. At, where's... Self-preservation. Got to keep them away. Got to keep the competition away. Self-propagation. Got to make more of me. Not enough of me to go around. I got to make more. I'm not talking about church plants. I'm not talking about satellites. I'm talking about what Peter talks about, someone who's a false teacher that's all about building self. We have to be careful, church, this church, this pastor, these pastors, these leaders in the 21st century in 2022, that we're not all about our status. We're not all about our likes and our comments. I'm talking about social media. Because if you build up on, I've, oh, I've been like convicted 
uh, because I, not because I'm really like, but of just being careful about that by some recent messages I've heard and podcasts and just realities of social media today. And churches have to be careful because likes and follows aren't necessarily those you are able to influence in a positive way. And if you live, if a leader or a Christian lives by self-gratification, the reality is you will die by self-gratification. Not physically, but emotionally, mentally, psychologically. If the only thing that motivates you to serve Jesus is getting your name called and getting petted, it'll be the one thing that keeps you from serving Jesus when your name's not called and you're not petted. And you were, if, if that's the case, you were serving self, not the Savior. It's a good test. It's a good test for every preacher. Amen, preacher, it hurts, yes, I know, to keep doing what you're doing without, without the self-gratification. Because if I have to have it, I'll quit. You don't get enough of it. They don't get enough of it. Pastors all over the country, good pastors, don't get enough of it. They get hammered week after week after week with no self-gratification. And the proof that they are who they say they are is they stay in it. They put up with it until they can't put up with no more and they go find another church that'll love them for a couple weeks and then they'll be back in the same deal. It's a bad world. In the church? Yeah. We're talking about leaders to do that. They're so self-consumed that they operate as wild animals. They have a reward of unrighteousness. Eyes of adultery. These false teachers walk after the flesh, and I got four minutes to say they walk after finances. Oh, there it is again. It just keeps popping up in 2 Peter. And that's the challenge. And God knew this a few weeks ago when he said the love of money is the root of all evil. And he talked about money more than he talked about anything else. Because he knew money would drive everything. Money has always driven everything. Money will continue to drive everything. It might not be paper for you preppers, I know. It'd be some form. But it's going to always drive value. Cost always drives what we do and how we operate and how we live. The value of something. And we're warned. Church believers, this is not just to pastors. We've been warned about money. We've been warned about finances. We've been warned about not just having money, but money having you. That's the issue. And I'm going to be very honest, and this is very mean, kind of. I'm convinced. I'm convinced that I don't have a handkerchief. I'm convinced that there are people in this community, in this county, in this state, Around the world. I could call names. I really could. So I'm not just making this stuff up. That they, they're too lazy to get a job. But they found out that a church will pay them. That sounds terrible. No. Because they're consumed with money. And it's an easy gig. It's not. But here's what I know. There's a lot of openings. A lot of openings in churches. I say this carefully. A pastor today that's got more than a GED 
And if he has a couple years or a couple classes of college, can just about name his job and go where he wants to go. Because there's so many openings. There's so many desperate churches. Because so many are quitting. And there are people that figure out, you know what, that's a big church. I'll throw it this way. Got a couple degrees. That's a big church. I bet they pay six figures. I'm going to put in my resume there. Even though they may have a church of 50 where people are growing, people are getting saved, people are getting discipled, but 50 is not enough. I need 500 because 50,000 in a year is not enough. I need 100,000 a year. And, and they'll find another job just based on that. That's the, that's the environment we live in in America, in the church world. I, didn't, I wasn't talking about Bank of America. I'm talking about Baptist churches. And Peter says, be careful because these people are all about the money. They have a heart. Listen to what it says. They have a heart exercised with covetous practices. In English that you would speak, they exercise themselves in greed. That's what it means. They work on it. I'm careful, I listen to a lot of podcasts, I follow a lot of people and try to, try to grow, try. But I'm careful when they start talking about their, their platform or their craft. I listen to a couple guys that I, I like and I like the people they have on, but they refer to what they do, like what I'm doing right now as a craft. Not like Hobby Lobby, but like I'm working on my craft. I, and I'm all about listening to yourself and watching yourself, seeing what you do stupid and what you shouldn't do and listen to your, I don't like it, but I do it occasionally. Like, oh, I'm such a doofus. Why did I do that? I'm so ugly. Uh, I'm so fat. Yeah, whatever. But I'm really cautious when I talk about working on my craft. Because this isn't a gig where I'm coming in and just trying to, the idea and the, the language is there later. It'll be next week probably. It's a, it's a bait. It's a hook and switch. Or I'm setting it up. Oh, if I can just get them to bite. They don't know it's a fake worm. But if they bite, I got them. They don't know. They think they're giving to the ministry. They don't know I'm going to get that new jet. That's, that's the idea. I can convince them. I'll call his name because he's creepy and probably nobody follows him. You better not. Kenneth Copeland, when he bought his fifth jet in his fleet, he used this, and, and it's all there on the interview. He says, um, I gotta have it. Now, they made it so cheap I had to buy it. But then he says this. He goes through the numbers in his head, which I think he was voices, but he was like, eh, looking all creepy. And he says, um, as of last week, there's been 200, and correct me later in your letter, 240 million people brought to Jesus. Well, I'm very careful how I respond to that. But to me, that's a bait. I gotta have this jet because 200 million people have got saved. Can you imagine if I had this jet, not the other four jets, but this jet, how many more millions could be saved? That's the idea. Why should I give you money so you get a jet? Because I pull on that salvation that people might get saved. If I had to ride a donkey, I couldn't reach so many. Or if I had to take my old jet. The leather's wearing out in it. I'm being goofy. But why would people give this cat money? 
Maybe the same reason people willingly drank a little poison. They were deceived. They really bought in. There are people, unfortunately, that really send people their hard-earned money that are doing nothing but what Peter said last week, making merchandise of you. You send the money because you really want to do something for the cause of Christ, but they just bought an $8,000 suit, which I can't imagine. This one was only $7,000. You believe that? <laughs> what a deal. They've trained themselves in their greed. They've worked on their craft. I'm very careful, and I hope you use a little wisdom and discernment. God only knows my heart. That my desire is not to preach this and teach this to call people out and to make fun of people, but to wake us up. That we have an enemy. There are false teachers among us. If you're not careful, they'll use a hook to get your kids involved. They'll use a hook to get you involved. There's a whole different subplot here, and they may use music to get you involved into their doctrine, into their church, into their believing. It won't be some, it might not be some creepy guy with a beard and a microphone talking in a hypnotic voice. It may be somebody in an $8,000 suit with a $20,000 an hour band behind them and smoke and lights and a lot of fancy bells and whistles to get your child or get you sucked in to a movement that is not of God. It may not look like Jim Jones because we have an enemy that's not an idiot. He uses and he adapts to the times. I think of music, and I think, you know, um, I'm not going to stop there because I'll upset some people, but um, music has evolved in a lot of ways. And most, I mean, I, I got 90s on nine on satellite, all right? Wow, he is such a sinful preacher. Because um, every now and then there's a good old song, and ain't it funny how melody brings back a memory. And so you, you flip it over, and, and it's going to be a song that sounds so 1992, the year I graduated. And um, I leave it there just to see the reaction on my kid's face. I was like, is that dog throw up? What is this? <laughs> or let's be spiritual, because I'm a preacher. Uh, I like old quartet music, um, four-part harmony, and I'll listen to that. And... Um, that, there was a day where that was pretty much all gospel music was, but that's not the same anymore. And so I'll flip it over there and listen just to see the look of disgust on my children's face. Is that real music? What is that? Don't be so naive to think, well, certain music is of God and certain music is not of God if they're trying to worship Jesus and lift him up. Let's not be so silly to do that. But we have an enemy that uses music and uses tools and uses hooks still today to get to our kids and to get to you and to get to me if we're not careful.
Now, that sounded like an 800-year-old bearded grandpa preacher, I know. But we've got to be careful. Music's powerful. I love music. I love different types of music. And I have to be careful that the type of music I listen to might not be uh, counterproductive to me growing or it might be something that would cause me to do something else. You know, most of us been to Back to Bethel when it's 850 degrees and sawdust and hear Ralph Six and roll the... Roll the the, um, I almost said CD, it was before those days, the record backwards. Oh, What's he saying? I don't know, but it sounds bad. Don't buy it. <laughs> I remember those days. We don't, we don't spin records backwards anymore. They just say what they want to say and hide it with a crazy beat. And your kids are like, you're, and it, it works. Isn't it funny how this works? The older you get, the more you don't understand what they're saying. My daughter would start saying words to songs, and I was like, I didn't know it had words. It's in the special code. It's for the young people. My ears have gotten slow. Would you stand with me? That's one point out of three. You're welcome. I just noticed that says prepare for false teachers, which we should. Today was recognize false teachers. Recognize who they are by how they walk. Listen, here's the, here's the lesson for us. Here's the altar call. Here's the response. Because not a lot of you, probably a lot in this room and people listening would say, it's not talking to me. I'm not a false leader. I'm not a false teacher. The question is, can we recognize in our lifestyle, whether we have bought in to false teaching. Are we those who live after the flesh? Because followers follow their leader. The question is not about, am I a false teacher? The question for the church and for the person listening today is, am I a false believer? Am I living a life, have I said I've been born again, but I still live after the flesh? And all I do is try to please myself. Am I more concerned with myself than what I've been called to do from God, not just to be saved, but to be a servant? That's the question. This is real blunt, but Peter's very clear. Part of my conclusion one day in the next near future will be that all of these false teachers have a reserved judgment. They're going to they're gonna get their punishment. They're gonna, it's going to happen. So it's secured. It's imminent. But while we're here, and the opportunity to hear true teaching, true gospel, the burden's on you, the burden's on me, the burden's on the world to respond to the true gospel and to be true believers. Because those who follow the false... Their end is destruction as well. And what a sad, I can't get that out of my mind when I think about this. I can't get that out of my mind as a pastor, as a leader, that I would be potentially responsible for someone, someone ending in destruction because I didn't preach, I didn't live the truth. What a, what a burden. And that's not just on the preacher. That's on mom and dad. That's on the believer that we might lead someone down the wrong path.
Thank you for listening today. If you would like to know more about Central Baptist Church events and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.